this is Larry Cole and you're listening to Torchbearers. Hey, I want to thank you guys for downloading, liking, listening, and uh, being a part of um, Torchbearers Leadership Development and what God's doing. So uh, if you've tuned in recently, you know that for over a month now, I've been doing a series on the seven spirits of God. Um, the reason I have felt the Lord emphasizing this is that the, the time has come on the earth for the kingdom of God to enter into a new season, a new era, where we are about to see in acceleration and in um, abundance a lot of the things that uh, have been prophesied in the scriptures about the last days, uh, about the darkness coming on the earth, but about the light of God arising within God's people, God's kingdom uh, touching the earth. I think we're moving into a time where, where we are seeing an acceleration, uh, but then also kind of a, a boiling down of all these things. So it's almost like concerning the darkness, uh, everything is being boiled down to a thicker, richer um, experience of the darkness, but then also with the light. Uh, everything that's just water is being boiled away and we are coming into a more pure pure form of the light. So um, there's kind of like two parallel revivals. One is a revival of darkness, one is a revival of light. And um, so the reason I'm going into this teaching about the seven spirits of God is I feel like the Lord is emphasizing there's a purity that's coming to my church, to my children, to the bride of the Lord Jesus that is going to cause the light that is within them to burn brighter. God is the father of lights. So God who is light has birthed us and that makes us children of light, which means we are now the light of the world. Jesus was the light of the world and he accomplished his purpose for being on the earth. He went back to heaven and he sent his spirit so that we could then be the lights of the world. So I think that light is not only getting brighter, but it's getting purer. Um, if you know anything about uh, burning like a, a kerosene heater or an oil lamp, you have to keep the wick trimmed. You have to keep the, um, the fuel, the oil that burns in the wick. You have to keep it pure. You can't let, uh, let condensation get in it or it's not going to burn well. And it's also going to put off smoke. It's going to put off soot. Um, I know uh, there are people in the past who have burnt kerosene heaters in their homes and they, didn't, they, they did not keep the wicks trimmed and they didn't keep the oil pure and people have even died from breathing the carbon monoxide that, that comes off of that. And I feel like that's um, a lot of the emphasis that God is putting on the time that we live in. I need you to keep your wick trimmed. I need you to keep the, the oil that that fuels the flame pure i need you to keep the oil pure so it will burn clean it will burn bright and it will um, accurately represent who god is in the earth so today we're specifically going to talk about the spirit of wisdom now this is not wisdom uh, as we know it it's not the wisdom of man it's not wisdom from uh, what we learn from experience the wisdom of god does not require experience. It helps, um, but it does not require it. The spirit of wisdom does not uh, require for me to learn from my mistakes. 
The spirit of wisdom is the spirit of God, but it's specifically the spirit of wisdom. And one of the ways that we receive the spirit of wisdom is by focusing on the spirit of wisdom, knowing what the spirit of wisdom is and asking for it. So uh, let me read a couple of scripture and then we'll get into this. So I'm starting in Isaiah chapter 11, which mentions the seven spirits of God. But I specifically want to focus on a couple of scriptures leading into this. Isaiah 11, starting at verse 1, it says, There is a shoot that will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So I kind of get this picture of the house of David. Uh, the scripture describes the people of God like trees. And I picture the house of David being this grove of trees and it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from one of these trees, the root of Jesse, the throne of David. So it's almost like the enemy has seen all these trees of, of King David's family, his heritage, his inheritance. And the enemy came into Israel after the life of David and just took an axe and just cut down all these trees and just ravished on Israel, just, just let go his rage upon Israel until it was like there was nothing but a forest of stumps. But then Isaiah prophesies that from the root of Jesse, a stem will spring forth. So if, if you've ever seen a, a field of stumps, it's just a, a horrible sight to look at. You know that trees used to be there. And if you're going to cut down the trees, at least um, grind the stumps down, get them out of the ground, put some topsoil, uh, in and sow some grass and make it nice pasture. But just a field of stumps is ugly, it's barren, uh, it, it has the appearance of hopelessness, like something used to be here, but now it no longer exists. So this is the picture I get of the house of David after the death of King David. And the enemy came, came in and cut down these trees. And it would look hopeless. It would look like there, there's nothing waiting there's no chance of a prophetic word coming forth about a, a stem coming out of this stump. But sure enough, it's just like this green shoot one spring day comes out of one of the stumps. And the enemy's done walked away and thought, all right, I cut down the forest of David. There's nothing left of it. That prophecy's not going to come to pass. But what he didn't know was that the roots of one of those stumps was still feeding on the earth. It was still drinking the waters where the snows melted in the spring. It was still getting nutrients from the soil in the ground. And from that came this shoot that was known as Jesus, the Messiah, this shoot that came up. And the house of David has been resurrected. And even on the day of Pentecost, Peter proclaimed that the tabernacle of David has now come to pass. It's here. And this is it. So this is Isaiah 11, verse 1. And then it says, Concerning this shoot, the Messiah that would come out of the root of Jesse, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And then it describes specifically the seven attributes of the Spirit that would rest upon Jesus. And we know from Scripture that the Spirit rested upon Jesus in fullness. It wasn't just a little bit of the Spirit. So when it talks about the fullness of the Spirit, it's not talking about quantity. It's talking about every attribute of the Holy Spirit. So for example, I know my wife. 
I know the attributes of her. I know how to read her emotions, her countenance. I know her likes and her dislikes. Um, someone else, even though they may know her well, they don't know her as well as I do. So they, could, they cannot say that they know my wife in full. No, they don't. Um, I'm closer to knowing my wife in full than they are, and none of us know her as fully as she knows herself or as fully as the Holy Spirit knows her. So it's not how much necessarily as it is the attributes that make up who she is. So it's the same way with the Spirit of the Lord. He rested upon Jesus in fullness, meaning Jesus was learning the, all the attributes of the Spirit of God, and there are seven specific attributes. So the first attribute is the spirit of wisdom, which is what we're going to talk about today, and then the spirit of understanding. Now, it's interesting in these, it says the spirit of wisdom, and then it doesn't go back and say the spirit of understanding. The reason being is because the Word of God is trying to uh, tie these two together. So the spirit of wisdom is connected with the spirit of understanding. The two balance each other out. And as we learn more about these seven spirits of God and what these attributes are, um, we'll see how they work with each other. So first is the spirit of wisdom. Second is the spirit of understanding. Third is the spirit of counsel. Fourth is the spirit of strength. Fifth is the spirit of knowledge. And then sixth is the spirit of the Lord. And all of them together make the spirit of the Lord. I'm sorry, the, the sixth one was the fear of the Lord. Yes. And all of them together make the spirit of the Lord, which is the, the seventh or the center of the lampstand. So if you know, we've been talking about the seven spirits of God. In the book of Revelation, the representation of those seven spirits came from two sources. Number one, the lampstands. Uh, Jesus stood in the middle of the lampstand and he, and he told John in the book of Revelation, the lampstands are the seven spirits of God. And then in Revelation chapter 5, John sees the lamb standing, but he looks like a, a lamb that has been slain. And he describes that this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes which represent the seven spirits of God that have gone out into all the earth. So <coughs> we have specifically been talking about the lampstand. So the lampstand in the tabernacle represented the seven spirits of God. And when we read about the lampstand in the tabernacle, that is a type and shadow of the lampstand that is in heaven that we now have access to through the blood of Jesus, which is the seven spirits of God. So God has given us access to the seven spirits of God, which have gone out into all the earth. And we as priests unto God are required to keep that lampstand burning. How does that lampstand burn? It's already been made. It was made by God. We then have to keep the oil in the lampstand so that it has fuel to burn. How do we keep that oil? What is that oil? It's the love of God that he has put within us. And as we lavish that love upon Jesus, we are filling that lampstand with the oil. 
and then the fire of God rests upon it. And like God told the Levites, you have to make this lampstand burn continually. I don't ever want it to go out. So that's the requirements that the Lord has for us, that we would adore Jesus, that he would be our first love, that we pour oil constantly into the lampstand and keep it burning. All right, the next passage of scripture I want to take a look at is Zechariah chapter 4. And I'm going to read the first 10 verses. So the reason I'm bringing out Zechariah chapter 4 is this is a prophetic word for the days of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the grandson of the king of Israel when Israel escaped Babylon and came back to Israel to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. Zerubbabel was the grandson of that first king. And Zechariah had received a prophetic word about Zerubbabel and what God was going to do with him in those days. And the Holy Spirit's emphasizing on me that this is a prophetic word for the times that we're living in. So, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. He says, And then the angel of the Lord, who was speaking with me, returned and roused me. He poked me. He lifted me up. He said, Hey, man, pay attention. He uh, I was as a man who is awakened from his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I looked, and behold, there was a lampstand, all of gold. Gold represents the things of heaven. And it had a bowl on the top of it. And it's seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. So he sees this lampstand. He sees that it's made out of gold. It's of, of heavenly design, heavenly materials. He sees that there are seven lamps on each of the top of the seven branches. And the branches contain the oil that feed these lamps. There are seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. He also saw in verse 3 that there were two olive trees standing on the right side and the left side of the lampstand. These two trees were olive trees, and from those olive trees were flowing pure olive oil into a tube, which would then pour into the bowl on top of the lampstand. And then from that bowl, it would fill up the branches of the lampstand, and then that oil would flow up into the lamps and burn. So he saw two olive trees, one on the right and one on the left, and then verse 4, Zechariah asked the angel that was speaking with him, and he said, What are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with Zechariah answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And he said, No, I don't. Verse 6, So the angel said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So it's funny. Zechariah asked the angel, what is this lampstand? What are these two olive trees? What is this oil? What is this? And the, the angel doesn't directly answer at first, but he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. What I have allowed you to see is the word of the Lord. It's a prophetic word. And this is how God works in the prophetic. He shows us pictures. He shows us images. He shows us things that he sets before us 
and then as we gain understanding of what we're seeing, the word of the Lord begins to be revealed in the picture that we're seeing. So that's a good class on the prophetic. This is how God works in the prophetic. He shows you images. He shows you scenes. He shows you things. And then out of those things, he speaks. So he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel means one brought out of Babel. So Babel or Babylon is a picture of the world, its culture, its ways, its finances, uh, its, its education. And Zerubbabel means to be taken out of Babylon. So we're seeing in the world, especially right now, that there is a culture of Babylon that's really rising up and pushing its agenda into every area of culture and life, including the church. But the reason I'm, I'm specifically targeting the scripture is because God is emphasizing out of that culture, out of even the church that has been infiltrated by the darkness and by the culture of the Antichrist spirit, I'm raising up a people and I'm bringing them out of that Babylonian culture. So this is what he said to Zerubbabel. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we quote that a lot, but when you look at it in the text of this, here we are, Zacharias having this vision, the lampstand, the two olive trees, and then the Lord specifically says, this is for those who are coming out of Babel. First thing I want you to know concerning this lampstand and the two olive trees, it is not by might nor by power. Zerubbabel, there is nothing you can do in the strength of your own arm. There is nothing you can do even in the authority of being king. There is nothing you can do based on earthly wisdom, knowledge, power, authority, education, finances. It is not by anything on this earth, but it is specifically by my spirit. My spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 7. He continues, What are you, O great mountain? So, man, it would look like right now there is a huge mountain of, of Antichrist culture that is set in front of the church. And the church is wondering, man, how are we going to be able to move this mountain? How can we even climb over this mountain or go around it? It's so tall, it's so wide, it's so huge, and this mountain is blocking us from seeing who Jesus is and what he's doing. This mountain is blocking us from knowing um, how to walk in the Spirit in these last days. But here he specifically targets it, targets it. What are you, O great mountain? What are you? Who do you think you are? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. Before those that God is calling out of the culture of Babylon to separate themselves and consecrate themselves from this Antichrist culture, this mountain that is before us that is bringing so much um, discouragement and depression on the church, that mountain is about to become a plain. It will not rise from the ground. Um you will become a plain and he who's he going back to the spirit of the Lord of hosts and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace grace to it so what he's saying is there's a building that's taking place there's a mountain in the way and and Jerusalem and the temple that Zerubbabel had come back to rebuild 
it was like he was feeling overwhelmed. This is like a mountain uh, in front of me. The task is too big. I just don't have the heart for this. And the angel says, the spirit of the Lord tells you, don't think of how you can do it. But I want you to know that it is only by the spirit of the Lord. Depend on him. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust in your own ways. Trust in the Spirit of the Lord. He's the only one that can remove the obstacles from completing the task that God has prophesied He will fulfill in the last days. And what has He said to Zerubbabel? I will rebuild Jerusalem. I will rebuild the temple and I will dwell within it. I will be their God. They will be my people and we will walk in covenant. And this is what the Lord is saying today. I've got a temple on the earth. I've got a people that my Holy Spirit dwells within and I will tear down every mountain. But I need you to forsake your own strength, your own assets, your own abilities. And I need you to connect with the seven spirits of God. I need the spirit of the Lord to rest upon the church so that then my spirit can remove that mountain and rebuild. So here's what I need my church to cry out in these last days. Grace, grace, grace. I need a new heart. Grace, I need a new wineskin. Grace, I need a new flood of the love of God that brings encouragement, that that puts that fire of, of first love back in me, that I will burn passionately for Jesus and for his kingdom and for him to receive glory on the earth. So that's the message right here. Grace, grace is coming. Verse 8, also the word of the Lord came to me. So Zechariah says, there's more. This was just the first part. Here's part two. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. So the Lord is saying, those of you who have tarried, who have not grown weary, who have still sought the Lord, who have gotten up early and praised Him and worshipped Him, who have devoured His word with a holy hunger, those of you who have walked in holiness and righteousness and, and just cried out to God, this second part, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. All right, you've done it. And I will see that you will finish it. The Lord has begun a work in you and with you and he will see it completed he will see it come come to pass then you will know that the lord of hosts has sent me to you verse 10 listen for who has despised the day of small things man this verse has bothered me for years because god has has kind of challenged us that he can do more than we can ask or think well, Lord, you have given me a creative mind and I have been able to think of some major stuff, but I know that you can do more than I can ask or think. Who has despised the day of small things? Don't despise where you're at right now. Yes, there's a discontentment, but let there be a holy drive within you to be thankful for where you are, for what God is doing with you, for for the ministry that he's given you for the time that he's afforded you to spend with the Lord. Be thankful for what appears to be these small things. Who has despised the day of small things? Listen, but these seven will be glad. These seven who? He's talking about the spirit of the Lord, the seven spirits of God. And I'm amazed. I've done a little bit of research. I'm amazed at how few 
theologians have understood that this verse is talking about the seven spirits of God. In fact, uh, looking at about eight different uh, commentaries, different theologians, not one of them mentioned the seven spirits of God. But when these seven spirits of God, these seven spirits will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So it's as if God is handing us a plumb line right now and he's saying, I want you to hold it up. There's a heavy weight on the bottom and the string is being held in your hand and gravity pulls that plumb line straight up and down. And the Lord is saying, I'm tired of truth being distorted. I'm tired of it being bent. I'm tired of it being moved aside. I am ready for truth to be in the earth. It is time for my people to hold the plumb line in their hands and to declare the truth on the earth. And he says, when the seven spirits of God see the church, those that have been called out of Babylon, who are standing in truth, holding the plumb line, the seven spirits of God will be glad. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. So, man, that's a whole uh, sermon within itself. The seven spirits of God. We are specifically talking about the spirit of wisdom. Give me a few more minutes. Let me break this down just a little bit. I, I really want to put an emphasis on this. We magnify and release what we are aware of. This is one reason that I'm, I'm doing this, this teaching on the seven spirits of God, because it, it's good to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's good to know him. It's good to be aware of his presence. But when we begin to break down the seven attributes of the spirit of God, each of those attributes begin to be magnified. They begin to, be, to become real. We become aware of them and he begins to impart the attributes of each of those seven parts of his government. So we've got to be aware specifically today of the spirit of wisdom. These seven spirits are which God governs by. It is through these seven spirits that God makes his decisions. So if we want God to start making decisions on our behalf, on behalf of those who hold the plumb line, start becoming aware of the seven spirits of God because this is how he governs his kingdom. Without the spirit of wisdom, the earth wouldn't even exist. This is in scripture. So how important is the spirit of wisdom? Creation would not have even happened without the spirit of wisdom. Here is what the spirit of wisdom is. All right, I'm not talking about the wisdom of man. I'm not talking about experience. It is the spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is the capacity, the ability to judge rightly in matters relating to kingdom life and kingdom conduct. Why is the church so confused right now about what is right and what is wrong? It's because we are not having relationship, fellowship with the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom gives us the capacity, the ability to judge rightly in matters that relate to life and conduct. Thank you, friends, and I'll tune in um, and we'll finish this up part two on the spirit of wisdom.